Welcome, everybody, to episode 235 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. My name is Ben. And I am David. And we're picking up with our set designers and sets designs that we like in Doctor Who. And we've uh, crossed the great barrier, I guess, into <laughs> the great divide. <laughs> <laughs> into the modern era. Well, it is a great divide because it's it's an entirely different uh, way of doing production design. Yeah. And it's an entirely different way of doing everything, but yes. Yeah. Also production design. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, because uh, in the classic era, you'd have, they would be BBC staff people and uh, they're, they're BBC staff, of course, but you'd have one person pretty much doing set design. But in, in the modern era... <laughs> Uh, the production designer is more on the executive team level. He's a he or she. In this case, it's a he. Oversees the basically entire art department and is doing people management and team management and basically an overseer rather than perhaps the actual artist designing. But then again, uh, the production designer also isn't responsible for that. So it's hard to pin down whose ideas is what for production design in the modern era. Yeah, sort of responsible for the overall tone of the thing. Yeah. Which which actually, is, you know, it's I don't know. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, it means that there is a consistency, I think, across the design, which I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. things look like they come from the same place mm-hmm. but then you don't get the kind of wildness of sudden changes of direction that you get with the old bbc system where mm-hmm. you know a designer is is basically allocated to the production and kind of like it or lump it basically mm-hmm. but here uh in the news in the in the new the new who world it's all everybody is sort of I mean the the showrunner obviously has got views on what things should look like and how things should be, especially a showrunner like RTD, who right. is a very visual person, he's a cartoonist, um, he can draw, he's interested in what things look like, perhaps more so than uh, you know, other showrunners that we've had in the new the new era. So yeah, it's it's, um, it's actually kind of interesting that yeah. things sort of change that it becomes more like a movie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a single camera, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Well, I think what we've commented on, the designs of a production in the classic era that we really liked is when the costumer, the set designer, every, you know, sound, everyone came together and it was a very plausible, believable world. And I think one of the best examples of that is, of course, Robots of Death. Mm. When you have a production designer, someone overseeing all the visual aspects of it, then you're going to have more cohesiveness for the various textures, the various layers for sets, for props, for art. It's going to fit within one person's vision, and it's going to be more cohesive and tied together. Yeah, which is, uh, I think I think it's generally, I mean, in general, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So generally, at least in the RTD era, you'd have the executive producer, RTD being one of them, usually Julie Gardner, co-executive producer. Then you'd have the writer, another producer kind of on a day-to-day level, the director, Mm -hmm. director of photography and visual effects. And then at that that, that level of the same level as director and producer, uh, you'd have the production designer. So it is an executive role. Yeah. And so to kind of cut to the chase, the for the first five series of Doctor Who, aside from two stories, the production designer was Edward Thomas. And so we're going to, I think, talk about um, from the first four or five series, the five designs that he oversaw that we found to be the best. Yeah, which will be good, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I think one one caveat or another caveat before we crack on is that unlike when in the classic era where it was pretty obvious that something was a set or something was on location i found that blending to be a lot more tricky to distinguish between so sometimes they're on location sometimes it was set and sometimes they're the cgi right and so if our listener knows better (laughs) that this is entirely a location that was dressed 
or uh, entirely uh, com- computer generated that um, good on you I'm, i i did my best i guess to to pull out uh, what was actually designed as a set rather than repurposed or augmented right right yeah no that that's i think that's a fair it's a fair thing to say yeah. yeah. So, should we flip a coin? Do you want to go first, or how do you want to go? Um, I will go first. All right. And my first uh, choice is the the Christmas Invasion. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, tell, to tell me more. Interesting. Me more. Yeah. Me. Um, why do I like the Christmas Invasion? Well, uh, so sort of the interesting to go through this because you know obviously I've got the stories that I like mm-hmm. uh, and the stories that I feel were successful but that doesn't mean that the if, if i like the story doesn't mean that i like the i like the production design right um so there are some stories that i find no, i'm not not too keen on that but you know i really like the way that it looks and um christmas of Asia, i think is fine actually it's a fine story it's goes on as i think our listener will remember i'm not too keen on the kind of the extended regeneration episode mm-hmm. but you know but it was awesome to see David Tennant step into the role. Um, I just thought that the, the, the Sycorax spaceship was ah. cool and interesting and different. That seemed to me to be a set, right? Yeah. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> no, um, I think they found an actual Sycorax spaceship. Yeah, they hired the Sycorax from, like, I don't know, whatever dimension they're from. Um, <laughs> uh, and I thought that was unusual and different. And I think the Sycorax, um, I don't know, it's, I don't know whether they're due for a, a return. I think they're pretty cool. They're kind of like a blood death cult of some kind from space. And they live inside what looks like a rock. And the inside of their rock also looks like a rock. Mm -hmm. And it's very good. Um, So, yeah, that's that's really where I am. I mean, I was also remember being very impressed by the, you know, the final scene where there is a, you know, there's a sort of a climactic sort of Highlander style sword battle. Which looks like it's happening in space, but of course it's not right. happening not in space. Looks like it's happening up in the air, but of course they they shot it in the Brecon Beacons or somewhere. Um, which <laughs> I thought the, the, I thought that was pretty clever. So yeah, no, I I I I didn't really pick anything. I'm afraid from the Ninth Doctor's era, because no. I think they were sort of struggling all the way through that era to right. get it right. I, I think everybody, right. um, and I think this is on record, I think everybody was like, oh, hang on, uh, this is really hard to make. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that shows actually in the in the production design yeah. throughout the Ninth Doctor's era. I mean, the stories are great and the acting is great. Um, in some ways, that's the easy bit, easy in inverted commas, but it was like, okay, how do we make a science fiction show in Britain for the first time um, for like 20 right. years, basically. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so that's my first one, uh, Christmas Invasion. Yeah, so like you, I didn't choose anything from the Eccleston year because they were getting their act together. What came afterwards in the following four series for Edward Thomas, I think, was much better than what he was able to pull off in the first series. What I recall from the Christmas Invasion is I, I don't know if Jackie's, uh, the Tyler's apartment was set or if it was on location, but the scene with the spinning Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, that's a great scene. Yes. And going through, I think, going through the wall, uh, the domestic settings. And uh, having not been in Britain at that time period, they seem very convincing to me as an American that this, yeah, this is very plausible. And I think domestic domesticity is a hallmark of RTD's early Doctor Who. And it was convincingly carried out. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that flat is a is a it must be a set, but it's a very good set. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, yes, the whole Yeti on the loo in Tooting Beck, blah blah blah, aspect it, it was it was extremely well done. I think in in this era and uh, that spinning Christmas tree, it's a real terror of the audience moment. You yeah, say, ah, it comes alive. Yeah, uh, it kills us. Um, and obviously they don't get killed, but you know, it certainly looks dangerous and mm-hmm. looks cool as well. So yeah. Yeah, it was a great kickoff to the to the tenant era in my to the the tenth Doctor era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a nice nice launch, and yeah, exactly. uh, it did introduce that triumphant moment uh, on the outside of the Sycorax ship that kind of set up the entire tenant first tenant Doctor era. So exactly, yeah, good good setup. So for my first pick, I'm yep. I'm going in the same I guess same series. Okay. Uh, for the impossible planet and sanctuary yeah. base 
And I thought this was a well-realized archaeology, a mining type uh, base uh, visualization. And what sells it to me is the grungy, grungy aspect, grunginess of it. And it conveyed the cramped, the spookiness, uh, the spray painting, welcome to hell, and then the the... The, the weird writing, the ancient writing beneath it, and just how everything kind of looked beat. Like this right, this right. base has been moved around the universe and looked lived in. And you know that's the Star Wars thing, the lived in thing. And then the, uh, the bit of element, the design, the big disc, the opening to the pit, which was this big, huge thing that they stuck at the bottom of the quarry. Again, nice design that ties in. With, if you look at the base, <laughs> that the, the, the corridors seem to almost mirror or reflect the kind of design that's on the big disc going in. I know that a lot of the uh, corridors, like all the tubing and piping in the Impossible Planet Satan Pit, was at a factory in Pontypool. But where they combined it with sets... It all seems to tie very nicely together. And then the obvious set of the escape shuttle or the spaceship. Uh, I like the lived-in, grungy, Star Wars-esque worldness of Sanctuary Base outside the uh, black hole. So that's, that's my choice. Yeah, and it's interesting to contrast the kind of base under siege, which is, you know, a kind of traditional 60s, 70s yeah. Doctor Who thing. And very often those bases under siege are kind of spacey. And they're kind of white, big. O- I mean, basically, it's a it's a TV studio with some stuff in it. Um, <laughs> True. Uh, I think I think really for me the most successful, well, the most kind of contemporary base under siege is is the Good Street Fortress in um, mm. in the Web of Fear, which is you know is grungy and close and feels claustrophobic because it's supposed yes. to be the London Underground. I mean, I think, again, I think Satan Pit and Impossible Planet, um, they do an excellent job. You know, it's very alien. It's very the thing. The quarry that we see is became, I think, increasingly familiar over over tenants' tenure. Yeah. But the way everything fits together, it is completely believable. And it's, it's very kind of seamless um, in the way that these different places are knitted together to give the impression that it's... Um, that it's one place. Um, I would call out the famous seatbelts in the um, in the spaceship, which is something still kind of amuses me. Um, oh. That they um, well, I think the the specification that they should have kind of you know space um, kind of harnesses, mm-hmm. but the instruction was seatbelt. And then if you notice at the, at the very end when they're kind of leaving the impossible planet on the spaceship, they basically they buckle themselves using in seatbelts like you have in a car, um, <laughs> which is uh, sort of, oh, that probably isn't going to work that well uh, <laughs> as you fly into space. But someone mis- someone misunderstood what was wanted. And I, I, that's a kind of a famous, I, well, to me, I've I, I read that that was a famous mistake that everyone found irritating. But now we find amusing. So mm, oh, right. Instead of over the shoulder type things they do exactly. the, the cross so, the heart exactly instead of like a racing harness kind of like okay this is really gonna hold me in place it's just like right. a seatbelt that you get in your car yep. <laughs> uh, well it fit, fit with the airbags that deployed when they there you go <laughs> yeah. um so my second one this is going to be this could be a radical this is a radical all right um uh it's the lazarus experiment <laughs> you like the Lazarus experiment. I love the. I don't know why it gets so much hate. Actually, <laughs> okay. I really don't know why it gets so much hate. I think it's fantastic. I think the makeup's good. I think Mark Gatiss is good. He looks old. He looks young. I think he's evil and he's creepy and he's misguided. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think the monster is cool looking. Um, I don't really see that. I don't think that's bad CGI at all. I think that's excellent CGI. I like David Tennant in a dinner jacket slash tuxedo. That looks good. Martha looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a cathedral. I like cathedrals. It's the wrong cathedral, which I also like noticing. So that's a plus. And I think, again, it all fits together. They've got various locations. They have like a swanky London style office building. They have a medieval cathedral. They have a magic box that does a thing, makes you old or makes you young. And uh, it all fits together very nicely. And actually, t- to be honest, and it, uh, it sort of reminds me when I used to work in London, and I would periodically get invited to kind of swanky opening dues for right. things. And it's it's very well done. That's what those kind of dues are like without, 
giant, you know, scorpions from the <laughs> dawn of time suddenly erupting. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Lazarus experiment. So what cathedral? You said wrong cathedral. How, well, so, how? so, the, so the, the, basically the Lazarus experiment is taking place, you know, in kind of central London, right. south of the Thames. Okay. And when Lazarus, Dr. Lazarus, turns into a giant scorpion from the dawn of time, he runs into the into Southwark Cathedral, which is basically on the other side of the river. You get St. Paul's Cathedral, which is a big cathedral in kind of north of the river. And then south of the river, there's a kind of medieval cathedral called Southwark Cathedral, uh, which is entirely appropriate. But it is very, very clear that the cathedral that they are actually in is Wells Cathedral, which is in the far west of Britain, um, because Wells Cathedral has a very distinctive interior buttress which it's like okay yeah that wells that's wells cathedral is the only one that has this particular buttress um so ah, okay um, for, for, for cathedral nerds it's like yeah that's wells cathedral <laughs> that's not southern cathedral which is interesting because obviously you know the production is based in cardiff right when they're shooting towns it's always cardiff that they're shooting right and of course if you know your geography wells is in somerset which is just a short short ish drive from Cardiff, you can't really. I mean, there's not really any. I mean, the nearest cathedral to Cardiff is probably in St David's, and that's like really difficult to get to. That's on the kind of the other end of Wales. So Wales Cathedral works works really well, but it has this very distinctive interior, which is completely couldn't be anywhere else. So there you go. Oh, so you so if you if you visited your cathedrals of uh, England, I'm well, Somerset is England. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so then you would know. All right, excellent. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, a little bit of cathedral trivia there for our cathedral fans. So for my next story, I guess uh, going for location, uh, this one was a, a tricky one to to know exactly what was CGI, what was uh, location, and what was set. But I'm going with the fires on Pompeii, which was filmed in uh, Snap. <laughs> filmed in Rome at the Cina Citas. Citiata Studios? I don't know how to say that. I've always said Cinecita, but I have no idea how it's pronounced. All right. Okay. So, filmed in Rome. But is that, that and... is a really, really famous film studio. If I could yes, it is. it is. Where they made all the great Italian movies. So, it's, it's kind of exciting to go there. Mm-hmm. And they, as from what I recall, they cut them a discount to try to build up a production, a English, a British production in Rome. So, much like with Horror of the Fang Rock up in Birmingham, they pulled up all the... <laughs> they pulled out all the stops and upped their game significantly, and it is fantastic. The the uh, marketplace scene where Doctor and Donna arrive is vibrant. There's all sorts of business going on. There's people in the streets buying, so merchants selling, live animals. It, it's a fantastic scene, and then just carrying through with the domestic house with the with the central atrium garden area with uh living quarters all the way around and then the uh, the where the uh where the sisterhood is underneath everything is just very lovely very roman just a visual feast for the eyes it's absolutely perfect i mean it you know i i think as far as i remember it's actually it's, i think it's a semi-permanent ancient rome set Hmm. that they offer at that studio and you can come and do Spartacus or, you know, Rome or like things set in ancient Rome. And um, I think one of the great things about the new series is they have really pushed, you know, shooting outside of Britain. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not the kind of, it's the home counties under threat. And yeah, it it looks great. And it should look great because it's, it's a set that's purpose built to look like ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Um it's more or less a permanent set. As that's what I understand. Yes, yeah, a permanent set and you can parachute in and like do your thing and it's ancient Rome. And it's and it's great. Very convincing. I think it's shot well. The lighting is good. It feels like the light of Italy, which of course it is because it's been filled with it Italy. It is Italy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and you know the the again the kind of segue transitions between that and a volcano set and the interior of Caiculus's villa set. Very, very convincing. Um, you kind of believe the whole thing. And actually, I mean, I think this is one of the criteria that I'm using to kind of this is this is this is a good one is like, you know, is it believable? 
Am I looking at it right. going, yeah, that's ancient Rome, or am I going looking at, oh yeah, that's a disused factory on the outskirts of Port Talbot? So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm concurring with you with that, and we have a we have our first um, our first snap of the of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it made me want them to spend more time in Pompeii. Really, right. I, I would have liked to see this extended out have more more at least more adventures in Rome or in the Roman Empire because it is such a visual feast and they were clever with it and it just was a a fun story that established the doctor and Donna Noble's relationship very early on and it helps to have great sets i think the actors up their game to match their location yeah that's that's an excellent point i think um I mean, I'm not an actor. I don't really know any actors. I'm, I'm kind of guessing on this. But mm-hmm. the more realistic the set, the more the actors can effectively pretend that they're, you know, which acting is just pretending. Um, they're pretending they can pretend that they're in ancient Rome. And I think it works really well. OK. You know, I think I think it's helpful for everybody. Yeah. Yep. Viewer, actor, production team, everyone. It, it, it was a win. It's a win-win. Yep. It's every, everybody wins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody, everybody lives. Uh, so it's, it's it's my turn, right? Yes, now, yes, so yes. I'll have to have to um, I'll have to cross out. Oh goodness, I've got a list here. Cross out Pfizer Pompeii. I've just done uh, Lazarus experiment. Um, the next one I have. This is another not my favorite story, but I just think it works really well because it's a thing the BBC does excellently, and I think it's interesting that. Even though this is all of you know an external production company and it's sort of only in some ways tangentially attached to the BBC, right. um, the Unicorn and the Wasp mm. is perfect Agatha Christie as it should be. Miss Marple could walk around the corner and it would work perfectly. So, uh, as I said, it's not my favorite story because uh, I'm not actually a huge fan of Agatha Christie stuff. Right. But it just works. It just works well. The house looks good. Um, some of it must be some kind of set. But again, the transition between the exterior kind of garden party aspects of the show and then going inside the house just works really well. And it is basically the kind of, you know, the gag is sold. You know, this, yes, I, I, it's completely believable, as it should be, because this is an area of, you know, English drama, you know, middle brow drama expertise. Right. I'm just going to repeat what you said because it, it does right. it does seem to fit under exactly what you're saying. A Miss Marple or Hercule Poirot location or set that they would do in if they were actually filming one of the, the uh, Christie mystery novels. So it right, it right. fulfills the uh, remit that they were issued. Basically, it, it 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 is what it is on the tin. You know, it, it is a well designed set from the uh, 1930s, uh, the interwar period. Yeah, and, I, and again, I, I I have a soft spot for its. Uh, what am I? What am I trying to say? Um, the kind of envelope of the thing, because the I think the genesis of that particular story is obviously Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. But there is a, and I think you know, we've, we've talked about this in previous podcasts because we've covered everything that's been in Doctor Who. Um, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a Christie story called Death in the Clouds, right. which was published uh, in a paperback edition in the 1970s, which had a giant wasp attacking an airplane. And I can remember seeing that in, the, in a bookshop when I was a kid and being like immensely excited that it was a story about a giant wasp attacking an airplane and then my mum saying look well you probably won't enjoy that because it's not actually about a giant wasp attacking an airplane um it's that's just what's on the front of the book and it was good it was interesting learning moment for me um that what's on the front of the book is not necessarily what is inside the book um so and and for a christie story it's absolutely nonsensical that the the book cover that (laughs) from a 70s reprint of the novel would be the inspiration for this story basically it, it, it's uh there's nothing nothing in the story that would say okay well there's a vest form or anything it's entirely gareth roberts taking a book cover exactly and then, yep and then making a story up around it which going forward in time rather than backwards in time it makes absolutely zero sense yeah which is which is kind of funny um <laughs> and i kind of like it in that way so um mm-hmm. yeah anyway 
So that's my choice. That's my uh, that's my fourth choice. Uh, any thoughts on the manners? Uh, it ha- I'm just pulling up a few pictures of here. It has a very uh, the of its time Oriental inspired designs, wallpapers, interior art, uh, flat you know pictures on the wall that are uh, uh, looks like Japanese or Chinese in origin. It seems to be very heavily inspired from that. Uh, Orientalism, I guess, would be the the right word for it. Yeah, that kind of yeah, that kind of you know mid um you know nineteen twenties yeah. kind of post war kind of posh house furnished by someone you know who maybe was in China in the you know the late uh, the late nineteenth century. Uh, I think it's yeah, it it just works. It's as I said, it works. It's it it should work because this is that this is what kind of British TV kind of foundational redo detective stories set in the 1920s really really well um and i i think it was fun to see doctor who do that and do that excellently um really you know as they should i'm just pulling up a picture actually of the um the giant wasps i mean the the actual the the death in the clouds i mean i think someone is killed by a wasp Mm -hmm. i think they're murdered by like a wasp is introduced and they're allergic to wasps um which is why there's a giant wasp on the front of the book. But yeah, again, I just kind of love that kind of literal transposition that Gareth Roberts, um, who unfortunately is slightly a persona non grata currently. Yeah. Um, Not going to change anytime soon. No, I think he's <laughs> I think he's set in his ways. Um, and he's an awful mm-hmm. gay Tory. So, I mean, again, I think his love of um, Agatha Christie completely fits, basically. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's my choice. Right. Okay. So I am going to go with... The Santarin Stratagem, The oh, Poison Sky. Okay. And you're going to explain that? You're going to explain that? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am going to explain that. It's minimalist sets in many... It's it's a lot of locations, but the sets that they do, like the Santarin ship and or the Santarin uh, lab that's, that's doing the cloning of Martha and other people underneath the uh, factory, it's okay. done with lighting. And there's throughout the story, the Santarans have this lovely, uh, they're in these lovely blue costumes, but everything around that Santaran tech is purple. And so you have all this glowing purple and it ties all really well together. And I think this is the first time we've seen in a Santaran mothership and it's all at the short, squat, stocky, Santarin scale. So whoever was thinking about this for Thomas's team said, okay, well, Santarins are short, so things are going to be squat down. The lights are like just barely over the tops of the Santarins' heads. Uh, the right. the whiz kid, I, the Radigan character, he's at Santarin level. The unit soldiers are all taller than the Santarins. So the Santarin spaceship, I think, works really well for the Santarans. So for for that reason, and then just the excellent use of purple lighting, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going with the Santarans strategy. Well, I'll have, to say, I'll have to say, to my mind, the kind of purple-blue color scheme of the Santarans is really, really kind of, you know, mid, mid-2000s. Um, well, yes. It, it looks incredibly dated to me now, which is weird because... That means that things that I think are actually relatively near, are actually not near at all. They're a long way away, um, time-wise. Um, but yeah, it looks it, it looks very much of its time. Um, I'm not, I'd, and I think you know when when we meet the Santarans again in Jodie Whittaker's time um, during the mm-hmm. during the whole flux excitement, um, they look very different. Yes. Um, uh, and I think that's interesting, you know, because we we're, we're now kind of 10, 15 years on from the Sansaran stratagem. Um, but I um, I agree with you. Uh, and I think to me, this is, um, I think I may be even saying this is RTD doing this. I think we're looking at the disaster that was the two doctors, um, where you have these freakishly, <laughs> freakishly tall Sontarans, these kind of giant, thin, stick-like yep. Sontarans with very yep. ill-fitting heads. Yep. I can see RTD going, right, okay, look at that. Do the opposite of that. Um, watch the we two want doctors. No one taller than five two. Exactly, and do everything that that doesn't do, mm-hmm. and don't do everything that that does. So we get like they're only they're small actors, right. and their spaceship is built for small people because they're small. Right, and I think you know again the whole Strax thing. I think works. You know, in the Moffat era, 
I'm now going to talk about contemporary Sontarans, I think works in a kind of moffaty joke way. It does right. kind of devalue the Sontarans in general and make them make them more. I mean, I guess they always always were a kind of a joke. They were, but um, it makes them too much of a joke. And I actually, I'm very very pleased to see them come back in a more kind of punchy, mm-hmm. uh, a more kind of Sontaran experiment form in the flux. But anyway, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's done very very well. And they are a very convincing kind of weird little alien race. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that they look very dated there. The Centaur and Stratagem with the purple lighting and stuff, because when they were redesigning their uniforms, they thought that the links, the quilted padding that they used in the classic era was very dated looking. So they were trying to update it and come something, come up with something more modern and uh, plausible. So as much as you try, it is hard to have something timeless. And, uh, you know, as a quick aside, that's why you don't mess with the Daleks. They have a timeless design and not any or many other monsters have been able to carry that off in Doctor Who with a a design that should just be not (laughs) altered or updated. That actually might be an interesting subject for a future podcast, in fact, is, you know, timeless designs, which, again, number one would be Daleks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously we tweak them. But, you know, when we've when we've tried to redesign Daleks to make them look (laughs) more contemporary, it's always been a it's literally every time has always been a disaster. Yes. And I just think that's really kind of interesting that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a kind of a it wasn't really a bodge, but it was, you know, okay, Raymond, this is too expensive. Come up with something cheaper. You know, it was a kind of back of the envelope design has proved to be something that is literally an icon of British design. And I can think of other examples, actually, in Doctor Who, where the, certainly to my mind, the, the design is 100%. Okay, this is, do not mess with this. And if you mess with it, you're going to, it's, it's going to be a mistake. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah no yes you, you know, but it's it's very hard to escape from the era that you're in it is design it is, wise it is. um and i you know i think it's one of those criteria to to look at for design okay could this be any you know could this exist forever and if it does then you've um you've done it right um my final choice we're doing five right yes i yes. well let's see we had a snap we had a snap and I figure I have two left. Does that make sense? So I thought you had two left. No, yeah, because thought, of the snap, you you probably lost. I've got one, one left. I, I'll 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 pull up another one. But oh. um, so my next choice, <laughs> we'll see how we go time wise. My next choice is Planet of the Dead. Wow. Okay. Oh. That to me speaks of location. So very true. Very true. But a couple of things. Is the bus a location or is it a set? <laughs> and I would argue that the bus is it is a set on location. Okay. In that you have to film within the bus. The bus gets accidentally crushed. Uh, <laughs> Shipping such it. Such a weird to... story. Such a weird mm-hmm. story. It's like, okay, what's the one thing that we shouldn't crush? Uh, <laughs> let's crush that one. You know, it's like of all the things you could crush, of all the... Literally hundreds of thousands of containers that are being unloaded and loaded in you know Dubai or wherever the hell they were. Mm-hmm. The only one that someone decided to drop something on was the one where there was actually some damage done. <laughs> so I mean, I think I, I, that adaptation to the to the crushed bus and the kind of bus as a so that kind of quick work in terms of production design. Okay, okay, let's fudge this so that so, so that it works and let's fudge the story so that it works. I think is is something that I've always been impressed by. But the aliens whose names are temporarily escaping me. Um, Tritivores, if it comes to mind. The Tritivores. Those are the fellas, exactly. Um, their spaceship is great. It looks like a, the kind of spaceship that a, a, that a, a kind of a, a fly-style <laughs> alien would, ha- would have. Uh, um, fly in a workman coveralls. Exactly, it's, which, which are fantastic. Um, and they're the kind of when, uh, what's her name? Oh, God, I really should have pulled up some Lady Christina. Here. Lady Christina gets dangled down into the, you know, the engine room. Right. That is very convincing. And I guess in some ways, thinking about it right now, you know, it's kind of similar to the Sycorax ship. You know, it's a spaceship that doesn't really look like a spaceship. It, you know, it doesn't look like the inside of a factory, though I think it possibly might be. It looks like an alien spaceship and the kind of alien spaceship that fly monsters, tritivores, 
would build for themselves. Um, so I am, yeah, I'm going for Planet of the Dead. Interesting. Another Gareth Roberts story. I wonder if there's something with Gareth Roberts Uh, stories that uh, lend itself to good, (laughs) good settings or good sets. Good setting. I, I, that is a, wow. I, yes, of course. I, I actually had Russell T. Davis because yes, co-written with um, old man Roberts. Yeah. Um, Hmm, interesting. But you would say basically that it it possibly doesn't fit with our our criteria because it's... All on location. Well, this is where we're going into the 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 found locations. Now, the I, I, the the spaceship is obviously all set, but with with a bus and a desert, how much do you actually need to do with set dressing? The designing is selecting found elements, and that's that's often what you do with modern modern design. Is sort of like what okay. what works, and with 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 uh, factory settings being. Like in the Sunmakers, you know, this is now Pluto. Right, Instead right. of, you know, it's sort of like what becomes of its design, what becomes of its selection. And it's a gray area because selection is design. Right, right, so right. It, it, you know, what found elements is a time-honored way of uh, reinterpreting something. So in this case, with the bus, it, it is a bus. It isn't. It isn't a space bus. It isn't anything. And it's, it's a it's a damaged bus because the longshoremen in Dubai or wherever they filmed, Dubai, yeah. uh, screwed up. Screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Which I, in some ways I think is kind of weirdly hilarious. Um, yeah. Because uh, it's like, wow. Okay. Um, I guess that one. Um, so yeah. I know, but I mean, I, I'm going to go. The, I think the interior of the Tritivore's ship, I think, is excellent. And very, very convincing. And I think maybe something has something to do with lighting. It really does look as though it's like it's a dark space, but it's in a desert. Um, yeah. And there you go. All right. That's my choice. Okay. So I have a couple left here. Um, okay. I'm going to go with Vincent and the Doctor, oh, which is a Series 5 story. And this was filmed in Croatia. And you can't go wrong with uh, an actor, Tony Curran in this case, who is a dead ringer from what we would think of as Vincent van Gogh. And, but where this shines is using van Gogh's paintings as an inspiration for the design and then being able to execute on that and make it very plausible that these are the locations that inspired the paintings rather than the other way around, that these are the paintings that now inspire the modern location right, for filming. Right, right, right. And it is a gorgeous, uh, visually rich set designs. You go from the Cafe Terrace at night, the, the famous painting, right. and then the production, the art department looked high and low for a, a, a suitable cafe in uh, Croatia to use. And then they had to repurpose it and re basically take it. Okay, we have the exterior. Now, how are we going to dress it to make it look like the painting? And it's very, very plausible, and they they call upon it. You know, Amy's holding up the the tour guide or the the Van Gogh uh, book of paintings, and that's how they do the location. That's how they that's how they find where to look for Vincent, and then Vincent's studio or his apartment. You see elements of that in the paintings, right. and then all the sunflower and the lighting, uh, the Van Gogh lighting. Filming in Croatia, you aren't you aren't going to get the same kind of lighting if you're filming in Wales, right? Absolutely not. I mean, there was a reason that Van Gogh moved to the south of France. Yes, uh, you know he's from yeah. Holland, um, right? Uh, but he wants to be somewhere where you know his paintings work. So yes, absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the light is perfect for the story for the artist, and then the final bit. Now this is all CGI, but the, it falls within production design. When the Doctor, Amy, and Vincent are all lying on their backs, staring up at the starry sky, then having that transform into the starry night through CGI. And so you, as a viewer, can literally see the transformation that Vincent Van Gogh sees is, uh, I think, fantastic. Just, it's it's a visually luscious, beautiful set production design, and it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, no, I I agree. It is it is beautifully done. It's a very, you know, it's kind of an odd. It's not an odd one. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a 
it's a character it's a character story um mm-hmm. uh you know the monster is really superficial and it's more you know the monster is you know an almost direct simile for the depression that killed van gogh basically yeah. I mean, that's 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 all that's all it is mm-hmm. uh so and, and and you know i i think when you're doing that kind of story to do something that is you know has a kind of almost like a quasi uh, is, is not realistic that is you know that is in, impressionist or actually post-impressionist if you're talking about van gogh um mm-hmm. is beautiful and again it's a great example of everything fitting together cgi location filming story acting costuming you know, this is why we have in contemporary who we have a you know a production designer who is part of the executive team so everything fits right. together there's someone in charge of the whole thing and mm-hmm. if it doesn't fit with what the executive team feel the show should look like then it's sent back and redesigned um, mm-hmm. so that it does fit with what everyone thinks the show should look like yeah it left me wanting more. This with Tony Curran and just the the care and thought into the location. I would have liked to see, uh, you know, a four part biopic presentation of Van Gogh's life using these locations in this design team. I wanted more, and there are stories where you want more, and like the with the fires of Pompeii, where I wanted more a uh, Roman type storytelling. Right. I would have liked to have more. Uh, settings in this because it, not necessarily Doctor Who, but to me it captures everything perfect. And just like even the very the very final scene or one of the final scenes where the TARDIS is dematerializing after dropping Vincent off in the olive grove, again is evocative of his paintings of trees with kind of bent limbs and stuff. So it captures the art art artistry of the landscape that inspired the artist. Uh, or what we have interpreted very, very well, and a visual feast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. And actually, I mean, having I was just kind of idly looking at it as you were talking. I'm going to go if, and this is one I've slightly pulled out of my head, uh, my <laughs> basket. Um, is um, <laughs> is uh, Vampires of Venice. Oh, same same Croatia same filming thing, set. Same thing. Yes. And this is, you know, it's not a favorite story of mine. It's a little bit daft. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Venice. It's an amazing mm-hmm. city to go to. And they do an excellent job with knitting Welsh interiors and Croatian towns and plate shots of Venice and CGI water. Right. It's all kind of stitched together. So, yeah, this... We're in Venice. Right. Uh, you know, it's in some ways, you know, well, why didn't you just do like the vampires of Croatia instead? But I understand why they didn't. Um, and again, I think it's a really good example of you know, exactly what we've been talking about, that there is a, you know, there is a reason why you have a production designer um, so that mm-hmm. everything, there is one person who is in charge of making sure that everything fits with the overall look of how everybody, how, of how the showrunner wants that particular episode to look like. Um, yeah. And I think, I think uh, by this time um, in, in, so this is, you know, this is season five or so, right? Of the yep. new series, series five. Yep. Series five. Yep. They've really, they're really kind of cooking with gas um, and they, yeah. Okay. We know how to do this now. And all of the kind of weirdness and jarring, visuals of something like of um, aliens of london and world war three where it's just mm. like whoa okay it's just kind of whiplash between each each set um and cgi and costume and model work and real sets and stuff is it's just a mess to my mind right by this time they know exactly what they're doing and i did, i think this is where we get this kind of uh, renaissance is the wrong word but you get uh, a kind of a re working of Britain being a place where you can shoot fantasy shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is where you start to get Game of Thrones and Golden Compass and, you know, the, uh, all of these huge productions that you are now shot, not just in studio in the UK, but also on location. I think, you know, this, this, is, this all comes, I think, from Doctor Who being remade and being rebooted in, uh, in 2005. 
you've generated enough talent. Right. You, you've had to develop enough talent to right. support the show that now that the industry in the country can also support Absolutely. other productions because you've you've grown that talent pool and expertise. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep, yep. That's how it works. Um, and I think we're looking at a slight sort of golden, you know, like you can't really say it's a golden age until it's over. Um, right. But, you know, it's a, it's a really, uh, and it's kind of distinctive. I mean, you know, when you look at those kind of fantasy TV productions, there is a slight similarity to them because they're produced by the same people who've been working on Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I mean, I think that's fine. By me, you know, it's uh, it's excellent, and you mm -hmm. know, I think this is all another reason why you know our favorite show is a show that everyone should like because mm -hmm. it has been so influential and in every way. Um, so yeah, anyway, yeah. that's so, my that's my view. Yeah. So I think to to kind of cap it off, I'm going to go with Edward Thomas's final production, which was the Pandora Cope and the Big Bang. And right. it ties together a lot of things that you're saying that you needed someone with an overarching vision to tie everything together. And how does the Pandorical open begin? It's a teaming of Moffat and Thomas of the design where they cleverly filmed after each little production, a scene for the Pandorical open. So you have uh, Vincent having strange visions and painting the exploding tires. You have uh, Churchill in the cabinet war rooms talking about it. You have Liz 10, you have River in the prison. You have all these visual elements from the various different productions of series five tying in. And then you have the whole business with uh, uh, River being Cleopatrick. So you have the Roman kind of tense. But the, the piece that I think is very iconic of that series, the, the Pandorica, this big cube with a, a dial-type writing around it in Moffat's underhenge, with, uh, it's basically this gallery underneath. It looks like it's plausibly there. Now, I, I, I think archaeologists would totally disagree with that. But from a, from a, a, lay, a lay viewer... Oh sure, there's an underhenge, and it looks exactly like I I would think it would be. It's a right, big cavernous right. space under there. It's it's it, you know it's carved in there, and in the center with all the cobwebs and you know crap hanging down is this uh, Pandora cube. And so I think it shows an overall vision for not only a series, but uh, as someone who's gaining in confidence and skill. Uh, it's a launching point now for him to go off and do these other produ other productions right. and right, stuff. Right, right. So it it is kind of the uh, exclamation point on Edward Thomas's uh, time with Doctor Who. Yeah, absolutely agreed, agreed, agreed. Yep, yep. You know, I think that this is actually this has been it, we it's all this podcast is always great, um, <laughs> but I. I I think this has been an interesting, um, an interesting exercise because the immediate response to is is like, well, this isn't the classic series, so how does it matter that it's all the same designer, mm -hmm. so it, it looks the same? But actually, this is the way that things are made, and this is something that has really had an effect on, like I think Doctor Who always does, has a, has an effect on kind mm -hmm. of British culture. In a, in, a, in a wider sense, which is why, again, why it's such a great show. Mm -hmm. And um, Thomas went on. He was the designer for Sherlock. He carried over through the end of Torchwood. Uh, but then he was production designer for Line of Duty, a very popular TV series. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, he was course, right. a production designer for Da Vinci's Demons, another series. He Then he'd start moving into cinema with Escape Room and Monster Hunter and so he's he is continuing on his career um and he still has um he, you know he's still on the go i mean his his latest tv right, series right. going to is um who is aaron carter so he's uh, okay so he is uh, continuing to work and he obviously didn't get a start in doctor who but i think doctor who really really kind of honed his craft so to speak with with the diversity right. and stuff yeah and I think, I mean, this was true of the classic series as well. Um, you know, there's so many designers, you know, came out of the classic series and became mm -hmm. really, really important people in terms of, you know, creating culture. And, it, it, yeah. you know, the, the show is a great jumping off point for that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It makes careers for people. It does. Yay. We love it. Ray, Doctor Who's awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there you go. <laughs> oh, good. We are now entering what's November, and I think they have the broadcast dates now for all of the 2023 specials. The, I guess we have one mm-hmm. in November and then four in December. Or, yeah, no, three in December. Uh, I, think the, for the, I think the first one's on the 25th. Yeah, 25th it? of November. And then the other two are in the first two weekends in December. But yes, it's coming up quickly. And then we'll get the Christmas special. So I think we will change our focus and our direction for the here on out for the rest of the year on to New Who. New New Who. <laughs> new New Who. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new, it's, we're told it's a new, it's a, this is series one. We have season and series. We need a new word. So, uh, oh yeah, exactly. Well, they're, they're going to think of a new one. This exactly. This is the beginning of a new era. RTD two. Yeah. Um, so exciting, and there's lots of fun stuff coming up as well. The documentaries, and we've got tales yeah. of the Tardis, tales yeah, of the yeah, Tardis. Yeah. We have a, a color Daleks coming up. So yeah, lots of lots of podcast. Um, what's the word? Uh, fodder. Grist for our mill grist for our podcasting mill yes yeah. so we will try our darndest to keep up with the torrent <laughs> torrent of new doctor who coming out but well we shall see we shall see fire hose fire hose of doctor <laughs> who. right well thank you for listening to episode 235 of the metabulous 2 podcast i have been wallowing the visual feasts that edward thomas has brought to doctor who with ben and I have been waxing with rhapsody about the <laughs> gorgeousness of Edward Thomas's vision for the show with uh, with David. Until next time, talk to you then. Uh, farewell. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>